Welcome back to the Healthcare Insight podcast and video series. I'm Eric Silberman. And I'm Jane Crosby. We're excited to share an interview that we had recently with Amy Camo of Emory Healthcare. Yeah, it's it was a great, great discussion. Um, had, you know, some some really interesting insights. I mean, she's in a really, really competitive market. And that that I think kind of brought to the surface for us, like a lot of really translatable things for for some of our health, other healthcare marketers. Yeah, I think one of the big themes that we've been hearing this year is that because so many people last year skipped annual mammograms, skipped their annual physicals, a lot of our health system clients are kind of recapturing patient loyalty in a way and in an environment that's extra competitive because every single health system is trying to drive revenue recovery from the pandemic's impact. And I think Amy's doing some really cool stuff and leveraging her tech stack and partners throughout her organization to drive retention volumes. And I thought that was really cool because by and large, if you're marketing to the same audience year after year, someone's probably had an encounter with you at some point in time or been exposed to your brand. And so retention is a really important piece for marketers to think about. Yeah, I mean, just some great ideas from 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 Amy that we'll let her share around, you know, how they think about the retention piece and the inevitability of um, physician changeover or or churn. You know, that was that was a really good one. And you know, Jane, I think you make a really good point about you know people skipping kind of annual screenings last year, but then also the data that that we run into, right, which is that consumer loyalty in general. I mean, it cratered last year. Everybody had to make a change in how they consume healthcare. You combine that with a general decline in kind of consumer loyalty, and it creates, I mean, I was going to say perfect storm, but it's a perfect opportunity, isn't it, for those of us who are really focused on that customer acquisition to create new trenches of behavior with our consumer audiences that we've maybe never had an opportunity to do before. Yeah, I totally agree. It's an exciting time. And I think one audience in particular that will relate to Amy really well is others who are leading academic health system brands because it creates a unique challenge in how your community views your brand and views how they utilize you as a healthcare provider. And I think Emory has done a really good job of uh, fighting some of that perception. It's a fun interview. Don't take it from us. Let's hear directly from Amy. Enjoy the podcast. Amy Camo, welcome to the podcast and video series for Healthcare Insights. We're so happy you're here. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let, let's start. Tell us a little bit about kind of your background, what, what you're doing now, and, and, and we'll get into some questions on, on today's focus, which is optimizing hospital marketing budgets, which is something that's front and center for every single one of us. Absolutely. So I've been working in the healthcare industry for the past 18 years, um, but I always like to say that my the industry that I've worked in my entire career is marketing. Oh, it's an interesting little known fact. Some people know the more I get to know them, but I actually started my career in the performing arts. Um, I spent 10 years um, actually selling tickets and doing marketing and, and communications for opera companies and performing arts centers. So I bring a, a sort of a different lens to, um, to healthcare marketing and really from that ticket sales and renewal concept. So it's been fun to um, continue to expand upon that and try and build some of those disciplines in the healthcare industry. What a wonderful translation, though, to this business, though, right? I mean, the idea of creating the initial interaction or transaction and then how to how to benefit from the recurrence of building kind of the lifetime time relationship. Talk to us about kind of the interconnectivity of, of the two things. Although, Amy, you made the you made the point to me 
you're more in than you're out now though. 18 years you've I been in, in the healthcare space. So this it is, is, I am. And this is now my full industry, 10 years. See, it used to be, oh, my first career. And now I'm like, this is my career. <laughs> so that's just my starter career, I guess, if you want to call it that. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's, to your point around, you know, where are the connecting points? Uh, you know, from a, from a marketer's perspective, we are all basically, the customer is front and center for us, right? We, we bring the customer's voice to our organizations. In many industries outside of healthcare, marketing, marketing is the customer relationship engine, right? They're, they're the ones that are engaging with, with customers. If you think about you know, Delta or Starbucks or some other industries, it is most often you know, a marketing communications department that includes you know, member management or um, some sort of customer engagement. That's all part of the organization. In healthcare, we treat patients. And so often the relationship with our customers not be being managed through you know, traditional marketing ways, but it's, it's that unique one-to-one -one connection between the um, physician or the nurse or their care provider and the patient, and that's where the relationship gets developed. But what's interesting is that you know, as care providers, I almost think of them as athletes, right? They, that's what they're 100% focused on, and so we don't expect them to understand the business or understand you know, the, the back-end operations, and so therefore, as healthcare marketing has risen over the past, I guess it's been 20, 25 years, because I think there was a point in time when we could healthcare organizations weren't even allowed to do marketing. And so now we're trying to build this discipline of, let's make sure we get the patients to our providers, but let's also make sure we're keeping the patients. So how can we as marketers use tools like CRM and marketing automation to um, keep our patients engaged and have them come back in return? Uh, I can give you a perfect example. One is from a physician departure. Physicians come and go all the time, but often we'll just send a departure letter and it will be on the patient to then find a new physician with us. So how many people are actually looking at their retention rates uh, when those, those, that happens? And are they doing, developing a deep enough retention um, campaign to get those patients re-engaged and reassigned to physicians within their organization? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to, to ask, not to put you on the spot, but but when you think about kind of your approach there, I mean, it's a perfect, perfect example. And I'm imagining a physician with a panel of 300 patients and like the lift of doing that well, like, what have you found? Any any tips for us? Yeah, I mean, we're finding right now, I and mean, this is something that we're, we're early in, we're early in development, um, and actually is going to be a big focus of us um, in this next fiscal year. But what we're finding is uh, there is about, you know, maybe a 40 to 50% retention rate um, among primary care. So if, uh, often if a primary care physician leaves, then, you know, again, it's not incumbent on the patient. Sometimes it's because that patient has developed such a strong relationship with that physician that they want to follow that physician wherever they go to. But in other cases, it might be that there's not another um, Emory physician in the same location, right? So if you've just got one physician that's embedded in a small community and that physician leaves or is acquired, you know, potentially by another system, hopefully that's not the case, but they leave for whatever reason may be, then if you don't replace that physician in that community, it's going to be harder to capture that patient. However, let's just say you've got a practice that's got four or five physicians in it then it should be easier to capture that. And so what we should do and what we're looking at doing is developing an automated, um, a marketing automation drip campaign that will notify people when their physician leaves because we're required to by law, but then actually 
helps facilitate their finding a new physician. So whether it is using email to then give them direct click-throughs to um, the provider profiles on our website, or you know, seeing who does renew, renew I'm using my old um, opera <laughs> terminology, does you know, retain uh, or find a new physician. And then you move on and then you, you keep a, you know, a cascade of messaging to them to, up to a certain point. I mean, you don't wanna certainly harass them with, so, with a lot of contact information, but there's a series of, of cadences of communications and touch points that you can use um, to keep those patients within your system. And then if they don't come back, how many of us are actually then surveying them and finding out why did you leave? One of the things I'm curious about, Amy, a couple of the big themes that I feel like we've seen emerge in the last six to nine months are decreasing consumer loyalty and intensity of competition and more and more players getting better and better at marketing strategy. And you had mentioned that you're about three years into this focus on CRM and patient retention. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like in a market like Atlanta that's intensely competitive today as you continue to work on retention and loyalty? Yeah, so Atlanta is a very hotly competitive market, as you know. I mean, Emory Healthcare, there's about four major systems that are in Atlanta. There's Emory Healthcare, Piedmont, um, Wellstar, Northside, and then um, some, you know, we've got Grady and Northeast Georgia and a few others that are here. It is very competitive. It's interesting that each system seems to have a slightly different target audience and certainly a slightly different uh, brand promise, I guess, is the way I would describe it. You know, where where are we focused on? Emory's the only academic medical center in Atlanta, and rural, and one of uh, the only nationally recognized one in the state of Georgia. So we are the only place for quaternary and tertiary care. But the interesting thing is, I shouldn't say only place, but but there are some things that only Emory can do, right? That uh, the other systems in town cannot do. But what's interesting is that because of that, our challenge is that people don't think of us for their everyday needs. Whereas they might think of, you know, Piedmont potentially for their everyday needs. And then like Northside has built a, a history of being, um, you know, the uh, baby factory and, and, and moms and, and deliveries. I think they have the most deliveries in the country still. So, so, you, so depending on either where you live in Atlanta, I mean, a lot of that, if you know anything about Atlanta, traffic in Atlanta was horrendous. It was nice there for about a month, for a year in, during the pandemic, but now it's back up to its old bad traffic. <laughs> I there um, last week and I was like, ah, yes, travels, travels back. It was back in full swing. Right. So, so sometimes it's just dependent on where you live and what providers are in, in are close to you. But in other cases, it just may be your preference. So it is competitive and it's interesting to see um, how each of us as organizations um, are targeting patients. And we all seem to kind of go after the same mix of patients. I mean, it's, it's just the way we all are in the industry. Uh, but you, I think you absolutely need to have CRM and you need to have a, you need to have data driven tools because otherwise you're just going to keep chasing after either you're going to, you're going to start um, what I call one upping each other in the market and spending right. a lot of money that none of us can afford to, to keep doing. So we've got to really focus in on where is the, you know, what are the tools that are actually working to drive and achieve the business goals that our organizations need us to achieve and how do we not let ourselves get distracted by what might um, be something that's bright and shiny that one of our competitors is doing, but actually may be just fine for them to do because they're going after a different market than you are. Uh, so it's really taking a look at some of that stuff. 
you touched Amy on a couple of things that I really wanted to ask you about. So the only academic medical center in Atlanta, and you touched in our kind of prep conversation too, on the idea of aligning marketing outcomes to business priorities. Can you talk a little bit about the intersection of those two things? Cause it's something we see a lot of academic medical centers struggle with a little bit is how to connect marketing activity to, to business strategy. And it sounds like you've done a good job of that. Yeah, it's something that when I um, when I moved into this role, so I've been vice president for about the past five years and been in um, the leadership role for the uh, marketing team for about seven or eight years. And so when I first came into the role, I had been in the department before, so I had lived, um, you know, that that challenge of so much demand. We we um, joke there's an insatiable demand for marketing within our organization, and we just we can't, we will never be able to meet the needs of those within the system. So how do we prioritize what we do? And so I developed a, what I call marketing executive advisory committee um, many years ago that includes representatives from um, the major service lines. So physician leader and an administrative leader from the major service lines, the CEOs of all of our hospitals, um, our chief operating officer and some other representatives. I won't go through on the whole list. And so at, in the early days, we met monthly. Um, and that was to really very much align our business goals and strategy um, as a department, our focus as a marketing department is to drive um, volumes into the system and ideally profitable volumes into the system, um, but also build and protect the Emory Healthcare brand, which doesn't always have to have a volume driving component to it. Uh, and so we've got, you know, the website, social media and all that as part of it. But we, um, at one of our core purposes as a team is to make sure that we are supporting and aligning our work with the annual operating plan goals for the system every year. And we get involved in the five-year strategic planning process. So we'll use that committee. And then I have small, we then will have subset um, meetings with service lines that are identified as drivers of that, that business. And we'll work with them and say, okay, where are your, where are your volume goals? What are your business goals? Are you trying to grow? Do you have new physicians coming on board? Are you opening a new location? Are, is your budget, are you being asked to grow your budgeted volumes by 10 or 20%? Then we look and see how much can we, how much do we believe marketing can actually move the needle? Because some of this, it's not a market, marketing can't drive demand for, right? So we align all that and then we develop scorecards every year. It says, here, here are the business goals that we're trying to support. Um, and this year working on it right now, we're looking at how do we align towards budget and then what are the leads that we need to generate to convert into those encounters that will hopefully you know, convert into those surgeries or those procedures? And then what are the tools that we know we have in place that will most cost effectively drive those leads? And then we start to learn from them and we see where the conversions are, we test and learn. So we work very collaboratively with the business units um, and um, the administrators on those goals and really try very hard to tie it back to um, the annual operating plan. So it's not that we're a shop that's just uh, producing brochures when somebody needs one. You know, I know it's in the in the kind of same same mix, but but from a marketing attribution model standpoint, like if you don't mind, talk, talk to us a little bit about how kind of that effort builds to the, because, you know, you made this comment about the one-upsmanship that can happen, which, you know, I. I think your terminology is better than mine, which is kind of the healthcare marketing arms race, you know, where we're like stacking and stacking the, the effort. But it feels like attribution really helps kind of get to the heart of, well, what's working and how, and how do we map that back to the strat, strat plan? Talk to us about what you're doing there. Yeah, so we, like as, as we talked about earlier, we are, um, 
about in year three of our implementation of CRM. And um, actually COVID really helped accelerate uh, our implementation of CRM. So when we started out, it was gonna be very marketing specific. We were gonna do some propensity model campaigns and that's where you know, you, you've gotta let you, through the tool you can target people who are most likely to you know, need a mammogram or, or a knee replacement. And then you can send either direct mail or you can do some targeted digital um, to those, to those um, targets and then it gets you know wired. It's not really wired, but we we build it in the CRM so that when somebody takes an action, we're able to see what tool that came from. So were they from a direct mail piece? Did they click on a Facebook ad? Did they put in the unique URL that had we had in our radio ad? And so we can start to see what's driving the most leads, and then from there we can see of those leads what are the most what are the leads that are most converting. So sometimes it might be that something drives a lot of leads but they're not converting a lot. So then maybe you actually don't need to spend those dollars because your conversion rate is what's most important, not necessarily your lead generation because you don't want to be putting a lot of unqualified leads or unqualified patients into appointments with your physicians that's actually not, that's you know waste, wasteful of their time and then actually probably inappropriate for the, the person coming in, the patient coming in. So we look at some of those tools from an attribution modeling. We're early in it. Um, the reason I mentioned COVID is that we, long on our long-term range, we wanted to be able to use um, the marketing automation and CRM to do regular communications with our patients. So how are we going to communicate to them on a monthly basis? How can we use email to remind them of appointments or, you know, mammogram reminders, those types of things. And up until COVID, we hadn't regularly mass communicated with our patients because we didn't have the tool to be able to do it. Well, all of a sudden we had a desperate need to tell our patients about, we're suspending surgeries, we've got safety measures in place, we're changing our visitor policy. So we had to accelerate that CRM long-term strategy. You know, we took basically three years and condensed it, and condensed it into about 18 months um, and now, um, regular emails to our patients is um, a normal thing. It's a durable change, we like to call it. We've been doing it now for uh, at least a year. Uh, and, we're, and we're able to now see what um, things they're clicking on and what, what content interests them. Uh, so for example, with our vaccine, you know, vaccine hesitancy and vaccine response, um, literally this week, um, a member of my team had done an analysis of what were the FAQs that people were most clicking on in an email to help illustrate for us where some of the key areas of vaccine hesitancy are that we need to address. Um, don't ask me what they are because I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> and I don't remember, but it's just a key point of, we can make assumptions, but now we have the data that helps either validate that assumption or tell us that we were wrong and point us in a new direction. Yeah, that makes that makes that makes great great sense. And I'm glad, glad you said that. I was gonna be like, well, what are they? I have to pull it up, and it would take up too much time. <laughs> no, no, no problem at all. Uh, you know, you, this idea of uh, kind of durable change, either peri-pandemic or or post-pandemic. You know, Jane and I were talking last week, and and one of the things that the pandemic did obviously is it kind of turned all eyes to the to the healthcare providers. When we look at our email communications, either among patients or non-patients. I mean, the engagement level, it skyrocketed and it has stayed really high. And, and it begs the question, doesn't it, of like, 
what do we do with this attention that we've earned? Tell us kind of what you're finding in the durable change department um, in terms of what's what's changed from a communication standpoint for you guys. Yeah, well, what we found is that through these emails that clearly there was a pent up demand from our customers to be hearing from us more regularly. Uh, and so now, now that we're more into, well, with the exception of the recent surges and, you know, the uh, CDC guidance on mask, masking indoors, even for those who are vaccinated, short of that, we've, we had gotten into more regular communications. So now we're trying to figure out what's meaningful to our patients in sort of general business. And so that's what we're now starting to look at, because we have a general consumer e-newsletter that we send out to a, a small, it's an opt-in list. And then we have all of our patients. And so now we're starting to look at, well, how do, can we, instead of having those be the same things, can we start to customize um, our messaging um, and even potentially customize it and divide up the, um, the lists by geography? So can we send some specific messaging to people that live around our Johns Creek Hospital about stuff that might be happening at that hospital? You know, some in the pre-COVID, we would do a fun run and um, you know, ladies' night out, and so that's not stuff we had done before because we'd always have to rely on the old school posters and direct mail. But now we have a cost-effective email tool to start to look at that. So we're looking at how we continue to make it meaningful so that it's not so that people still pay attention but don't feel like it's just a marketing newsletter over time. So we're, we're still working through that and testing and learning. That makes good sense. Um, changing gears a little bit, Amy, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is how you view brand strategy versus growth strategy and really strategic marketing. You have a really amazing brand in the Atlanta market. And I'm curious how that impacts budget and how that impacts decisions you've made. And if you're far enough into attribution modeling to understand how traditional advertising lifts the performance of everything else you're doing. Yeah, we're not that far yet, but that's next, right? So what we're able to do right now is test and learn um, from campaigns that we launch. But I wanna be able to get to the point where there's evergreen stuff that we have going. And then we launch, then we test with adding in television and then see what it does to the evergreen stuff we're doing. And then, you know, test with, or test with the full on campaign. So that's next for us in the evolution. You know, from a brand, it's a great question, brand strategy versus growth strategy. And depending on the type of organization you are and where your needs are, they're very different. And, you know, I kind of break it down um, to people who don't really, understand marketing or aren't as familiar with the nuances of, of the marketing craft um, that it's like do you when you say you want marketing are you trying to drive are you trying to fill a business need are you trying to increase sales or drive volumes because if so i can do that and you can never i can i can fill your panels we can build your volumes and you will never see an emory healthcare ad ever right because you're not our target audience right. or do you want to be famous do you want your next door neighbor or you know the person that sits next to you at the orchestra or the Braves game saying, "Hey, I saw your ad on TV." If it's that, then that's a different that's a different technique. It's a much broader, much more expensive um, tactic and strategy, but it has a different result. But you can do that, and you may or may not drive volume because you're ta you're talking at that you're targeting the top awareness of the funnel. Now we know for us we have to do all all pieces of the funnel. I mean, a perfect. Perfect campaigns address all levels of the funnel, but when you have limited resources, sometimes you can't have that. For us as a brand, we are fortunate to be the top brand in the Atlanta market. So we don't have to do a lot of, spend a lot of advertising dollars to build brand awareness. 
Um, we want to maintain brand awareness. And so there's a, a certain level you have to keep in market to maintain that brand awareness. Where we're really trying now to um, change things with brand is shift perception in a couple of areas. So we're, we're known, and many academics are known for um, being the place to go for when it's really serious and no one else knows what to do with you. But often the, those systems are overlooked for just run of the mill, I shouldn't say run of the mill, but just regular care, like, you know, primary care, I need stitches, uh, you know, I, I have my heart's racing, and certain things that you just, you know, basic care and, and not, not what you would call that tertiary quaternary care. And some people think I don't, I'm not sick enough for Emory. I don't need Emory. And we want you to be part of Emory. We want people to be part of Emory so that if, I mean, hopefully you never get to that level, but if you are ever diagnosed with something, you're already in the family and it'll be a lot easier for you to get the treatment you need as opposed to having to find us when you're diagnosed with something serious, when you're under a lot of stress and you know have a lot of fear. Um, so we're trying to shift perception that, that you um, should select Emory for all of your healthcare needs. And that's something we continue to do year over year. We have a brand tracker study that we look at some of those attribute, not attributes, not attributions, but attributes and see how we're testing against some of that. Um, and, but making sure at the same time, we're not losing that dominance in the serious um, care preference. Well, I, you know, I was going to say like, you know, it is it is a double-edged sword, right? I mean, it is a luxury to have that kind of dominant preference and, right. and yet a pretty significant challenge to have that nuanced level of perception shift around the tertiary and quaternary care being the thing that, that you should go to Emory for. Maybe talk to us about some of the campaigns that you have in market right now. I realize it may, they may not necessarily be brand, brand focused, but return to care, the Olympic stuff. Like, talk to us about at the tactical level what you're running. Yeah, so um, right now we're running a campaign um, uh, for the Olympics, during the Olympics, um, to actually focus on our sports medicine center. So I, I think many, I think across the country, a lot of orthopedic volumes were down across the board, particularly sports and ortho, because people are not as active as they used to be. They're not out running, they're not playing their adult rec league things, they're just not doing as much as they used to do. And so as the vaccines came on board and, and you know, the, the country started to open up more, we anticipated that because not only are we gonna see those increase in volumes, but we might see it even more so because people might encounter more injuries because they might push it too far because they hadn't been doing it for 12 months. Well, I can relate to that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right? I mean, I know that I had like, what's going on with my wrist? It's because I had been, you know, sitting at a desk, you know, for 10 hours a day and not right. moving and walking between meetings. Uh, so we launched a campaign during the Olympics, um, it just launched last Friday. So we're, we, it's still too early to tell, but we've got a combination of television, digital, um, targeted AdWords, SEM, all of that to start to drive, um, hopefully capture, drive awareness, but then also capture some volumes. And then previous to that, in April, we launched what we call a return, return to care campaign. So like many health systems a year ago, a year and a half ago, we told people, stop, don't come. We're, you know, we, it's COVID, we're suspending all elective surgeries and essential surgeries. And then we started to add back essential. And so we had, we had to then retrain everybody that, okay, now you can come back. <laughs> and so we had a couple of, actually we had two campaigns. We had one in the last fall that was a feel safe campaign on, you know, all the safety measures that we had in place. But then we did one um, in April that is really for this full year. So it will run parallel with the Olympics campaign. 
um, where we call it our we call it our get it done campaign. And basically, it is um, it, it talks about people um, fo focusing on their health again after a tough year. It's time to focus on your health again. And we there's a it's anchored by a TV commercial where uh, there's a, a mom is talking directly to camera about the care she's getting. Her husband had a knee replacement. Her mom's having a heart procedure that Emory pioneered. So we're trying to capture all of that, but also in a relatable way. Um, and so that's been performing well for us uh, as well. Maybe just one kind of kind of follow on to that, and 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 it's great to hear about those. Pieces. I'm curious about the vendor management kind of or partner management kind of sure. component of the role, because you know when I think about your description of the campaigns, those are a lot of very disparate pieces across really I presume very disparate partners as well. Like talk talk to us about how you stitch it all together and and kind of keep it all feeling unified while still getting the domain expertise that you expect. Yeah, so we've been with, the, we've had agency of record that we've worked with for for a little over five years. So we do all of our media buying and planning and then um, the creative production that we can't do. I mean, we do some stuff in-house. We've got a separate agency that we work with for our um, SEM uh, strategy, AdWords strategy, and then um, some additional um, tech support. And then we have um, certainly the CRM tool um, and, and a consultant that we engage. So we've got a core set of vendor partners that we've worked with. Uh, and they, and we actually, I have meetings. That, so we have, a, we have a traffic meeting every week with our team where we have those um, vendors as part of it, our partners as part of it, kind of going through whatever is hot. Um, and then my team will meet in the afternoon if there's anything that arises out of that that we need to coordinate on strategy or work through some issues. And then occasionally, uh, it's about monthly, sometimes more than more than once a month. Um, I'll have a meeting with just the leaders, so my team, my my leadership team, and then the leaders of those agencies to make sure that we're all working together in concert for what we need to accomplish. Well, that's good stuff. Yeah, that's perfect. So getting every getting everybody to the table so that that we're not having to kind of run chief wrangler among right. the, the disparate partners that makes yeah. sense. And on my leadership team, we've got different leaders that are responsible for each of those those relationships. So um, we do a leader huddle every day. So if there's anything that we need to connect on as a team, we can do that as well. That's really smart. I like that. I'm also interested in the tools that you guys are investing in. You've talked a lot about CRM and marketing automation, but are there any other mission critical tools? I'm especially interested if there's any tools you've invested in in marketing attribution modeling um, that are going to be important over the next few years. Yeah, so um, you know we have there. We've been experimenting with some different tools. So we've got a tool that we use to help us with our social media, um, just both publishing and tracking. Um, we're exploring things like you know Datarama, Google Data Studio. We used Google Data Studio. We have some custom um, reports that we've been developed. Um, some new tools that are going to be coming to us through um, our uh, CRM and marketing automation partners. Um, so some of that, we've also got a really good relationship with our call center um, and with our um, IT team. So we're looking at how do we develop some um, analytics on the back end on our own. So every week, oh no, actually it's every other week now, every two weeks, we have a, a team meeting with marketing and then the contact center um, leads where we look at their dashboards to see how their um, call, what, how are their call volumes, how are their service levels, what are they seeing? We share our dashboards, so we're in sync. And now, as um, now we're starting to look at how can we knit those together to provide um, to augment the data we're able to get out of um, our CRM for our marketing campaign performance. 
the stitching together piece. I mean, that'll be that, that's the good stuff, right? Like you yeah. really, really, really start building the kind of kind of fabric. Lazy. Of it's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> I know, that, right. That's the thing. That's the thing. So you you mentioned in some of our conversations leading up to the interview today. You know, obviously you shared with us you've had kind of two very different different careers that have that have laddered across. You know, from a professional development standpoint, I mean, I'm sure you love Healthcare Insight podcast, but but you know, right? But but I'm interested, like you know, tell us about kind of what you're reading, where you're looking, kind of what what particularly maybe some out of industry perspective that that you would point some of our listeners to. Yeah, so for me, I start my day every day. There are um, some key daily emails that I get and I read. I get, um, so we subscribe to, uh, to the Harvard Business Review. HBR is critical. I imagine a lot of people do. It took me a long time to actually actually subscribe to it, but it's not that much. It's like $110 and most all of us have, um, I think, subscription, you know, magazine or subscription budgets. It's well worth it. Um, so I get a daily, I get two emails from them on a daily basis. One is sort of like the daily roundup of keys. And then there's um, a leader insights or leaders, uh, Harvard uh, HBR leader tip of the day. That is invaluable. And then I'll go online and if I'm looking for something, I'll save key articles. I will, um, you know, I'll read more about them. I might go explore and, and, and purchase some additional tools and case studies there. I also, it's not really how I stay with industry, but I, um, I subscribe to CNN's uh, five things that comes every morning. It's really helpful for me to keep up with what's going on um, in the world uh, and participate in conversations that people, uh, topics that might be coming up. I also um, get the um, ad week and daily updates. So I take a look at that on a daily basis and that's really helpful. In fact, I've also participated, joined their virtual brand week. It's just so helpful to see what other brands are doing. I mean, last year, I think I, I attended virtually brand week and learned like what Chewy was doing and Walmart and other areas. And it's just so fascinating to see how they were struggling with the pandemic in the same ways we were. But in some cases it was like, wow, that's aspirational. I want to, I, they're doing some things that I want to be able to do. But on the flip side, I was able to say, look, we are holding our own in what we're sure. doing with some of these big, huge brands. And so that's helpful for me to bring back to the team to say, look, you know, this, this big brand and us, we're struggling with the same thing. Actually, we're doing it a little bit better than them. So you should be proud of the work that you're doing. Um, and then I listen, I'm big into sports. So I get the sports business journal on a daily basis. And that helps me, um, we have some sports partners. So it helps me stay current with uh, what's happening there. Uh, so those are the, as I say, from a daily basis, that's what I'm looking at. Um, I get the ANA um, uh, emails every day, too, to take a look and see what's happening um, in other parts of the industry as well. You know, those are those are great tips and, and great resources. One of the things that, that you touched on, though, you know, really resonates with me is, you know, so much about the professional development and kind of looking outside of ourselves and those things is about like, well, what should I do next and what should I be doing? To make a really important point that in that same opportunity comes a fair amount of validation for kind of gut checking the path that you're on or being able to come back to your team and say look guys we're, we're really doing this this very well and i think that's an important important point for for all of us to kind of think about as we're searching for how to continue to advance right so absolutely amy camo thanks so much for joining us today this has been fun Oh, it's been my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks, Amy. Thank you, guys.